Welcome to the second season of We Are All Africans. A safe space for Africans with a wide range of backgrounds to discuss their being in a globalized world. I'm Saren Coley. Please take a seat and listen. What's your name and what does it mean? My name is Desta Haile, and Desta means happiness and Haile means power. In which language? And how did your parents pick your name? And where is your last name coming from? So it means happiness and power in both Tigrinya and Amharic. And Haile is my grandfather's name. So normally in Eritrea, you take your dad's first name as your last name. But because my father married my mother, who's English, they did the kind of Western family name thing. So my name should be Desta Rosom, but in, my dad's name was Rosom Haile, but instead I took his father's name. So Haile is my grandfather. And Desta, um, my dad chose the name. He wanted to name me after this woman called Desta Bayru. And she was the chef to the Ethiopian ambassador to the States, 70s, 60s, 70s. And then she eventually opened up a restaurant called Mama Desta's. And uh, I think she had a house in New York and then the restaurant was in D.C. So she was between the two. And yeah, she took care of all the young Eritreans getting there with not so much English and not so much money like my father. And uh, so he named me after Mama Desta. So how does it feel to carry a name that means happiness? I think it's a really a gift because, you know, whenever I meet Eritreans or Ethiopians, they're like, oh, you're happy every day. <laughs> and I guess, I, well, yeah, technically, <laughs> I guess I am. And then I was speaking to one of my dad's friends recently because, well, well after the article came out, there was an article about Mama Desta that came out on Vox, I think. And it was the first time I'd seen her written about, like I'd seen pictures of her online tattoos and cooking and drinking honey wine and she just looked I really loved it like from when the from the images but this guy he's a food writer I have to look up his name he's an incredible writer and I think he's working on a book of immigrant women chefs and how they kind of developed their community and held their community together so I was talking to a friend of my dad's and she was saying that Desta isn't just happiness it's like a collective shared happiness so I thought oh that's nice so yeah it's a gift it's a gift it's unisex there's Men desters, women desters. And I remember seeing once a friend of my dad in London, he showed me their old yearbook from school and people wrote these long messages and all my dad wrote to him was, be happy. So I think happiness was a big theme for my dad. That's all, all you really need. So I like my name. Can you tell me a bit more about your history of migrations? So until my parents, my families didn't move very much at all. So farmers on both sides since the dawn of time, basically. Um, Haile was a musician, though, which I found out late in life. So my mom's from the north of England, from Yorkshire. And so farmers there. My dad's from Afelba, near Dekamhare in Eritrea. Um, but both of them just kind of by sheer luck ended up being the first in their families to study. So my dad's story is really deep. My grandma like found this young priest in the village who, and said, I'd be your servant for the rest of my life if you educate my son. And anyway, 
both of them just totally scholarship their way up into different uh, lives. So my mom ended up getting a scholarship to Cambridge and then my dad to the States. So I think he studied in Boston first and then New York. My mom did some exchange with New York uh, later. They both became Dr. Heides and um, they met in New York. The story is they were both looking after a friend who was not so well. So my dad would like take her flowers and cook for her. My mom would go and like fix her hair and stuff. So when, when they were taking care of this friend they met in New York in the 70s. But I was born in Thailand because my half-sister, my late half-sister, was half Thai, half English. So our blended family unit was Thai, Yorkshire, Eritrea in Bangkok in the 80s. So from there, since my parents worked for the UN, we moved, my sister, my parents and I, we moved to Barbados. My mom had a job with UNICEF. So Barbados was really, that's where my memory starts. So Barbados is a a big chunk of my heart. I spent five years there. And then we moved to Abidjan, which I see on your, your book behind you. And before then, my parents didn't speak any French at all. So we had to do an intensive French course before they moved. So Barbados, France, Côte d'Ivoire, Jordan for four years, and then a year in England. And then I finished high school in Belgium, which is where I kind of started working and music and teaching and stuff. And I go there every kind of two, three months because my mom still lives there. And after Belgium, I wanted to move to Brazil. So I moved to Brazil and uh, I was working for Theatre of the Oppressed. I was teaching languages. After Brazil, I spent quite a lot of time in Istanbul. So I think I kind of lived there because I would go for like six weeks at a time and I went like 12 times. So Istanbul, I'm claiming it because I love that city. That's a top three city, I think, in the world for me. And then after Istanbul, I moved to the Philippines for three years. I moved to London in 2012. I just came to do one gig and I fell in love with it. And I, I stayed and it's been 10 years. So I've been really, really lucky in terms of my travel. My Eritrean family are all over the world, mainly in the States, but not much less through luck and much more through necessity. And uh, I've been on some horrific journeys to get where they are. So yeah, I realized how lucky I am. I've been to about 78, nine countries, mainly through teaching work, teaching a lot of theater festivals and through backing vocal work. And yeah, whenever I can travel. I can see that you have a journey where you teach, you learn, you move. You can always find different ways to connect to people. So like, ah, oh, we both live in Abidjan or we both speak Portuguese or it's given me a few different things to play with, I guess. But I guess my comfort things that always come with me, like I always have frankincense in the house. Like if I can't find injera, I'll make it. If I can't find shiro, I'll make it. So definitely for me, my creature comforts are Eritrean. Um, coffee, injera, the clothes, um, the frankincense. Yeah, I think those things for me were something... I don't know how my dad would do it, but he would find it everywhere we lived, like even in Barbados or in Abidjan. I remember we were on a walk one day and he heard and he like (laughs) the music, the kind of really traditional rhythm. He just walked to the lady's house. He's like, hi, (laughs) salam, kime. And then, you know, he always managed to find community where we were. And then in Jordan, he was president of the Eritrean community in Jordan. So I guess, I guess, yeah, that's what I carry with me. And just a kind of curiosity, like I'm always really curious to learn and experience and 
because my close family unit was English, Thai, and Eritrean, so I just stay open. And so I carry with me a lot of Eritrean creature comfort needs and just an openness because you always learn and discover new things, enjoy new things. And I think I, um, I've been told I'm, I'm good at keeping in touch. So, you know, in London, I have my best friend from Jordan and Peckham. I have my best friend from Abidjan, Vauxhall. I mean, I keep in touch with people to make sure you don't drift. You don't drift. When did you realize that you were African? Um, I think when we were moving from Barbados to Abidjan. My dad was pumped. He loved Barbados, but he was so excited <laughs> to be moving back to the African continent. And he was just like, I remember him telling me stuff about the sunsets and the this and the that, especially the sunsets. That really sticks out. He's like, the best sunsets in the world. He's like, you think the sunsets here are great? I mean, to be fair, I think Barbados is pretty unbeatable <laughs> sunset wise. But he's like, the sunsets in Africa. Da, 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 da. <laughs> And it's really funny because I was like five and the kids on the playground were like, you move to Africa, there are bears in Africa, they're going to eat you. <laughs> you know, kids are always on some bullshit. But my dad was really like, yeah, psyched. So I think it was when I got to, to Abidjan, like in general. And then when was it? I think it was shortly after we moved to Abidjan or maybe the same year that he took me to Eritrea for the first time. So yeah, I was living in Abidjan for three years because I've never actually lived in Eritrea and then visiting Eritrea where I was like, oh, wow, I look like my grandma. I look like my grandma's sisters. I, you know, oh, we had the same birthmark there. We had the same. I think that was it. Abidjan and my first trip back to Eritrea. How was your time in Barbados? And what was it like to move from the Caribbean to Africa? Um, well, I loved Barbados. I still I still go back whenever I can. And one of my best friends, he's a photographer and an artist and creative textiles. He does everything. But he's he's based in New York. But I would go back to Barbados a lot and stay with him and his family. And I just had wonderful memories there. Really blissful, happy memories. Yeah, so really wonderful five years. And it wasn't until I moved to London in 2012 that people started saying, are you, are you Beijing? You know, you, you sound Beijing. None of my Beijing friends think I sound Beijing. I don't really think I sound Beijing at all. But, but lots of people in London asked me if I'm from Barbados, which is funny. I guess this is where I learned English because when I was born in Bangkok, I just spoke Thai. I wasn't doing much speaking between zero and three, but the little speaking I was, I was just my sister, my mom, my nanny, like they all spoke fluent Thai. But it wasn't until Barbados that I was really studying in English. Abidjan, I had to learn French. So I loved Abidjan. I have wonderful memories from there too. I loved my school and it was nice. Also nice community. It was, my dad had Eritrean buddies there. So I started to, who were always around the house. So it was like more of a community vibe. I think the challenge was just learning French because We were taught by this very terrifying lady in school called Madame Camus, who scared the shit out of me. Like, so I think that was my only struggle with Abidjan was how I loved it. It was just hard getting into speaking French.
Your dad is a poet. Tell me more about that. He was a poet. He was a national kind of poet laureate. And um, he started writing kind of in his 50s. And yeah, he's kind of very celebrated. He had three books, two of which were translated in English by this bogus American professor who doesn't speak Tigrinya. So he put his name as a translator, but he's not the translator because he doesn't speak the language. But that's another story. So yeah, he has three books. And still to this day, people kind of quote his stuff. I, I got a gift last month, some young guy in Arizona who makes sweaters and stuff. He made, printed his poetry on a sweatshirt, one in English, one in Tigrinya, sent it to me. Really touched a lot of lives. His most famous poem was... Um, Alona, Alona, and it talks about all the things that Eritrea has. So it really celebrated Eritrea, um, was against our dictatorship and pro the people. So what was it like growing up? How were your parents? They're both super free spirits with no respect for authority. <laughs> They were quite different in their families. They had me in their 40s. Like, they gave me a lot of space. They gave me a lot of trust, a lot of love and encouragement and connection and um, belief. Yeah, belief in me. And it was never a case of I had to do something to be worth something or, you know, it was just really unconditional and really stabilizing. So even though I moved so much, um, even though you know, I lost my sister at 14, I lost my dad at 18, like it was tough because we were so tight as well. But I think the time that we did have together was so fun and colorful and bright and imaginative. And my sister was a visual artist. My dad was a poet. My mom's a genius. So like, And everyone's super, super different. People used to always just be like, are you guys sitting together or paying together? Or, you know, who's, whose parent are you? Is that your maid? No. Uh, you know, so I think wherever we were and whether times were good or bad, like I felt that I could always talk to them. And also I had lots of good friends. For me, like when I think of my greatest luck in life, it's really my friends. I have some incredible friends. And I think that's also in the spirit of my parents. Like, you know, they welcomed my friends. They welcomed me to go out, make friends, learn the language, do your thing. Um, I was telling Suleiman, this friend of mine, I think yesterday, like, you know, if I ever complained about being bored, my dad would be like, only boring people get bored. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so, so yeah, I think that's what they gave me. They gave me, um, yeah, they gave me a lot. They gave me everything. So you told me that you lost your dad when you were 18 and your sister when you were 14. How did you go through that? And what do you remember from it? I think for me, it was really difficult, but it would have been impossible had I not, A, had wonderful friends and B, started to make music and write more. So I'd always kept a diary, but then the diary really became a, a life-saving tool. And then music, I think it was, yeah. So when I was 14, 15, I think that's when I started writing more. And then a bit later, I think 16, 17 was when I had my first professional, started like professional music. I think I had my first professional thing when I was like nine in Jordan, but then properly getting into it, making demos, recording, backing vocals for people was later. So I think it was really Yeah, music that saved me and friends, you know, being able to talk about it. Also with my dad being well-known in Eritrea, like, you know, lots of people kind of were showing 
their grief as well. So I guess grief shared is is different. I think with my sister, it was more of a shock because she was very ill for a long time. She she was bipolar, manic depressive. So she committed suicide and that, you know, you have no warning. Um, so it was so different because it was such a shock and it was such sadness because, you know, bipolar is such a terrible thing that you can't, you can take medication. It works for some people. It doesn't work for some people. It's, you know, when she was an artist, so when she was on medication, it was all sterile in her mind and and so that was really, really, really painful. And then my dad, so soon afterwards, was terrible, but he had lung cancer. Um, he smoked four packs a day, 40 years. So it did catch up. Also, my mom is a rock. My mom is a motherfucking rock. So she, above all, kept us together. She's such a rock and so... Like it, sometimes I even forget to mention, but without her, there would be nothing. So it's like friends, music, yes, but going without saying my mom. Yeah. And then I think, you know, as you move through waves of grief, as I'm sure you know, when you pull up on the past, like you've done with your dad's archives, I think that's also very healing. Like the stuff you find out, you know, when my sister's friends, I'm still in touch with them. Uh, thank God I have a wonderful niece. My sister was mom when she passed. So my niece... It's 25 in October, so I'm going to Chicago to spend her birthday with her. Uh, so yeah, and in a long rambling way, my mother, my music, my writing, my friends. I think, yeah, creativity is a healer. Time, not so much, but uh, yeah, keeping it moving. talked about having a diary for a long time and still writing. What do you write in your diary? Honestly, it's a lot of bullshit. It's, <laughs> it's a lot, it's one. It's a lot of nonsense. Uh, it could be to-do lists. I'm a big list person. I can make lists like nobody else. I have the same to-do list since like 1991, <laughs> but <laughs> I just enjoy writing it. <laughs> so to-do list, it might be a a little drawing from from my goddaughter. Here's some. She drew a little family of crevettes because that's her nickname. So I might just give it to one of my god kids to draw me some shit or what I did today or a little vision board thing or ticket from, you know, concert tickets or things from flights, pamphlets. It's just a mess, but it's a joyous mess. It's a colorful mess. Yeah, it's just to have something to scribble your thoughts and ideas and nonsense, really. Since I started when I was six, I now have about maybe a hundred. This is, I got the chance to sing in Wolof for the first time of my life. We were in the studio in Stereo Africa in Dakar, run by this amazing artist called Sahad Saar. And he got me doing backing vocals in Wolof. So this was the scribbles from the studio. So yeah, all my diaries are just a bit of a volcano of madness. <laughs> And uh, I only look back on them like maybe once every couple of years. But I just open a page and I'm like, oh, that's what happened. My diaries before used to be much less to-do lists. And now I'm seeing work and to-do stuff creep a little too much in because I used to keep them very separate. But uh, yeah, no, diaries are life. Diaries are everything. What does it mean for you to be African? What does it mean for me to be African? Um, I was invited to the Africa Center launch, the opening. 
Uh, and it was so nice. Muriel, who was speaking, she's one of the trustees, she started her speech off with saying different greetings in different African languages and asking people to guess the country. And it was so nice, you know, Ghana, Nigeria. And then when she said Salam, I was like, Eritrea. Uh, so being African, what does it mean? It's family, it's history, it's strength, it's pride, it's creativity, it's resilience, it's love, it's food, it's sharing, it's togetherness, you know? It's so nice in Dakar how everyone says, on est ensemble, on est ensemble. You know, but you get that all over Africa. Somos juntos, somos juntos. We're together. So I guess to be African to me means being together. Do you think that this is something that is unique to being African? I don't know if I think too much about it. I think I just, me, and I guess probably most of my friends too. So it's just, I don't, yeah, I guess I don't think so much about it. But I definitely feel it more than anywhere else. And even in my family, like I saw my English family lots more than I saw my Eritrean family because I didn't get to see them so much because they were in Eritrea or Ethiopia or the States or... But I definitely feel closer and more loved by them. Even coming back from Senegal, like just how people interact. When I was on the plane from Madrid to Brussels, just a change in that of people, no eye contact and kind of like, you know, trying to push in front of each other. And like, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm back in Europe. Here we go. <laughs> Ain't that some shit. <laughs> so, yeah, I just feel, I don't know. I mean, I've traveled more in Europe. I've only been to 14 African countries, so I have tons more to visit. But yeah, I think, you know, one of my best friends who I was in Senegal, so I've been to Ghana with her, Eritrea, Ethiopia, of course, been to Mozambique, South Africa, Rwanda. And yeah, there is just a, I don't even know how to describe it. If I can be doing any traveling now, I'm just looking at African countries, really. That's my number one interest. When do you feel most African? When do I feel most African? I guess if I'm with my family or my Eritrean friends or just when I think of the people that I live with, basically this Burundi, Chad, Zimbabwe. So I just, I don't know if I ever feel more or less. Um, yeah, when I'm with my friends and family, I guess, who are from all over Africa. When do you feel less African or you don't even think about that? For me, Language-wise, because I never learned Tigrinya growing up. So it was only really when I moved to London that I started studying it properly and I, I learned how to read and write. But I still can't converse in it. And I speak a whole ton of other languages, but the ones that I had an opportunity to speak and live in. So I'm fluent in French and Spanish and Portuguese. I speak some Dutch, I speak some Turkish, I speak some Thai. And I would, yeah, trade it all to speak fluent Tigrinya, frankly. So I think that's when I feel like, oh, why didn't I learn it as a kid? Or um, I remember years ago writing the British Council, like I, I was teaching English. I was like, I'd love to come to teach at the British Council in, in Asmara. And they were like, oh, we wouldn't advise moving to Asmara right now, especially if, if you're from here. Um, so I think that's my biggest kind of goal It just feels like Mission Impossible because Sigrinia is so hard and I feel I have to live there and I can't right now. But yeah, that's that's when I feel in Monk really like, oh, I need that. And other languages. I'm taking Swahili. Uh, my boyfriend's trying to teach me Kirundi. <laughs> and Amharic. I have an Amharic teacher as well. Taking endless Sigrinia lessons. 
so yeah, I'd like to learn more African languages, but especially Tigrinya. That's incredible. You're learning all these languages more or less at the same time. How do you do that? How do you learn? So I love, love languages. I hated them at school because I had starting with scary Madame Camus in Abidjan. I never enjoyed it at school. I always took French. Really just did not enjoy it. The tests, the exams, you know, no black people in any of the resources. It was always fucking Asterix and Obelisk and Odette and Odile and I don't know what. But even Abidjan, I'm like, what, what is this? <laughs> Who are these people? Why do I have to learn about them? So I never connected with French growing up. And I just thought, like, I'm just bad at languages. But then I, I discovered music I really liked. Namely, it was Cyan Super Crew. I was like, oh, this is so cool. I was like, oh, I have to learn French now because this music I really like. And then I started doing backing vocals for a francophone artist from Congo mainly. Um, so for me, music unlocked that language learning ability. And then when I moved to Brazil, I didn't even take lesson lessons. I got on their letras, punto berri, and I was learning all the lyrics and my flatmate Fabio was, take, was taking me through all MPB, Brazilian popular music stuff. And then I just really started learning through songs. I did backing vocals for this Turkish pop star. When you learn 20 songs in a language, you start getting conversational. So I was like, oh, this means I could learn languages, maybe. Like, in a way, I couldn't at school. So really with music. So when I'm learning a language, I really dive into the music. So I started something called Languages Through Music in 2014 really teaching people mainly through song and doing workshops at festivals. We did Africa Utopia at South Bank. We did Afropolitan at Beaux-Arts in Brussels. So for me, music. And then in lockdown, I actually had a bit of time. So I found this great app called italki and I found amazing teachers on there. I was like, I was born in Bangkok. I can't speak Thai. I forget everything. I knew. studied Thai. I was doing Turkish, Amharic, Swahili, Tirinya again. I had a wonderful teacher here, Berhane. So yeah, I found nice teachers. I, I find music, films. I love watching films with the subtitles in the language. I'm just greedy for languages. I just like doing them all at the same time because it takes forever to master a language. And I'm okay with not mastering a language. I think being conversational is great. So Then I started just going to different language events, international language events, and then realizing there was hardly any black women at these events. So I met three lovely ladies on the internet, uh, all black women, all language nuts. So we decided to put together a language summit exclusively for black women called Sisters Only Language Summit. So we've done like three, four of those. And it was amazing, you know, just all day online with uh, amazing speakers from tuning in from Tokyo, New Orleans, Barbados, New York, all incredible linguists, all black women. And that was like, huh, I've really found my my little group, my little tribe here. Um, so for me, language learning is about the music, finding a great teacher or several teachers and finding a community. And then if you have a chance to practice even better, But yeah, if I could just lie around all day and learn languages, that would be the one. How this idea of community building shapes you? How much is it part of your identity? I guess so. I mean, in most African cultures, all African cultures are community-based. 
I know my family are always, even though they're so, so big, so many people and so far spread out, like, you know, they're always really in touch and reaching out and taking care of everyone. I guess I was named after someone like that too, with her restaurant and bringing people together through food and music is also like that. I mean, yes, you can be a solo artist, but for me, music is also about doing it with with my best friends. In lockdown, I didn't make any music because I had no interest in picking up my bass or singing by myself. <laughs> and so, so I just, that's when I started writing, actually. It's the first time I ever did any short story writing or sharing my writing publicly because that you, you have to do alone. Maybe it's because I moved around so much. So it was, I had to develop the skills to make friends and find a community and, and make it a home kind of situation. So I kind of can feel at home anywhere, given a little time. But yeah, that's what it's about, I guess. That's what it's about. What do you love about being African? The heritage, the music, the food, the clothes, the hairstyles, the dances, that Africa's so diverse. I mean, nine in tribes in Eritrea, I think like 80-something in Ethiopia, like thousands and thousands of languages everywhere. I think Congo, Nigeria, how many thousands of languages? The richness of that, I think. Um, I'm looking at a picture that my dad had from the 60s in New York. It's called Tell Me of My People. And it's one of these incredible, like, noble dancers, like Rhonda, Burundi. So the art, the togetherness, again, I think. Yeah, I just really am going to try as much as I can to travel as much in Africa and soon be living at least half the time in Africa. Yeah, so what do I love about being African? All of those things. All of those things. Do you think that you share your Africanness through the music that you do, the way you live your life, your spirit? Um, yeah, I mean, music. I've done music for quite a while. A lot of my best friends I made through music. So just through collaboration, really. The part 2020-21 was the first time I shared my writing entering those like at Afritondo. So that was nice because it connected me with other writers from all over Africa, you know, whether that was through the jury or the other people who were published in the Afritondo anthology. I love researching. I love kind of hidden histories. So for many years, I've been working on the story of this modeling agency called Black Beauty Model Agency. My dad was signed to it in the 60s in New York. So years ago, like I went and found the ladies who ran it. I've been interviewing the models for ages. So I love, I love archives. Like I love history. I love unearthing histories that, you know, are hidden from us because, you know, a lot of Black and African stories are hidden through Western media nonsense. So I like pulling that up and connecting the people, like people doing the amazing work that people who came before us started and that still needs to continue. So I love interviewing people. Yeah, I love, I love hearing people's stories. That's why for Languages to Music, I started this podcast, you know, asking people about their relationships to music and language. Because I think music and language contains all of that connection, all of that culture, all of that mixture. Um, sure, do I wish sometimes that 
I spoke fluent Tigrinya and I knew as much about Eritrean music as I do about Brazilian music. But also I'm like, this is my life and this is a mixture of things that I am. And I think by sharing you, you learn about others, you learn about yourself. So yeah, might as well. Thank you so, so much, Desta. You made us travel from Asia to the Caribbean, to Africa, to Europe, through languages, poetry. Thank you so, so much. Sound design for this episode, Sonar. This is We Are All Africans. See you next week, en français.